Early in the morning hours on Resurrection Sunday had to be a time of a great deal of fear. The apostles, well, they had been hiding since the events of Friday morning and Friday afternoon. Only a couple of them brave enough to venture near the cross. At the closing of that day before the Passover feast, Jesus' body was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. They were no doubt disoriented and confused and frustrated. They didn't know really where to go or what to do. Fear was one word that could describe everything about them. You know, the thing about fear is that fear is, fear is so crippling. Fear robs us of so many things that are just, well, key to being human, doesn't it? Fear robs us of our peace. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of our faith sometimes. Really, fear robs us of our humanity, what it means to be, well, to be a human. George Patton, who was a man that was familiar with war and struggles and suffering and courage, said this about fear. He said, my definition of courage is simply this, the strength to go on one more minute. When you think about death on the cross, you recognize that the cross and the death on the cross was designed, well, it was designed to do far more than just kill somebody. The death on the cross was designed to destroy a human being's dignity, a human being's emotions, a human being's character, and then ultimately to take that human being's life. It was a well-rehearsed and practiced and well-defined process, and the Romans were very good at this. It was one of the most powerful tools of control that they had in their arsenal. If it hadn't been for the feast, the bodies of those or those men who were hung to crucify would have stayed there for days, struggling to maintain life while people passed by and mocked and ridiculed. But this morning, we're going to stop and talk about our Lord. Our Lord who was greater than, well, two things. But the first of them is that Jesus was greater than the cross. The Romans had a lot of practice in reducing humans to people who lose character, people who lost their dignity, breaking their spirit. But they never did break the spirit of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Truth is, is that Jesus remained true to who he was throughout that entire period of time that he was put on the cross. And when you read through the text of that story, which I hope that you've done this week, surely you're like me, and as you read through it, your heart breaks when you imagine the cruelty that was laid out on Jesus. Here was a man who had done nothing but love and care and challenge. Sure, his words were sharp and his sermons powerful, but they were delivered in love and they were delivered in such a way to change lives, not to destroy them. And yet, for all of his good and all of his trouble, the shouts of crucify rang through the streets of Jerusalem. And Pilate, afraid of the crowds, had Jesus flogged and then brought out before the people beaten, nearly dead, hoping that that would pacify their bloodlust. But there would be no pacifying. They wanted him gone. They wanted him out of the way. They wanted no more challenges to their power and their control. Jesus must be crucified. The Jews hated Roman oppression. They had to hate crucifixion. 
But they were willing to turn loose of a known hardened criminal in Barabbas rather than see Jesus walk. Surely Satan and all the forces of hell celebrated as they manipulated and controlled the people of that day into doing this heinous thing as they caused fear to strike the heart of Pilate, as they, as they allowed the hate to boil over into absolute, uh, absolute uh, murder in the voices of Annas and Caiaphas and those who were following along with them. They had won as the nails were driven through Jesus' hands and feet. They had won as that, as that cross jolted into its spot. They had won as they watched Jesus struggle to maintain breath after breath after breath, in agony pushing himself up on his feet and hands and pulling with his hands just to get another breath of precious air. Oh, they thought they had won, but they had not won because Jesus is greater than the cross. The time that Jesus spent on the cross, he did really four things that I want us to look at today because these are four things, guys, that just define us as Christians. They're just important to us because it's what Jesus was doing while he was dying for my sins and for yours. This is what Jesus was doing when the back of his father had turned on him. This is what Jesus was doing when darkness covers the whole world so it's like in the middle of the night. This is what Jesus is doing while people are passing by and jeering and mocking and spitting on him. These are the four things that Jesus is doing. They're things that we should always be doing. The first one is that Jesus was forgiving. Notice the list of people that he, he forgives. He, in, in Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 34, there's this little phrase where Jesus just simply says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, look past this, this hatred. Look past this bitterness. Look past this cowardice. Look past this calloused hardness. They really don't know what's up. They really don't know what's going on. It's easy for me to read those words. But when people are hurting me or my family or my friends, when I have an, a hurt inflicted on me, it's, it's hard for me to say, Gee, God, please forgive these people. They really don't know what they're doing. But the truth is that they don't, that we don't that I didn't, when I failed and I've sinned over and over again in my life, it wasn't because I meant to or I hated the Lord. It was simply because, well, I'm human and I'm weak and I'm blinded by my own character flaws. In this moment of complete suffering, Jesus had no character flaws. In fact, he's praying for the very soldiers who have stretched out his hands and his feet and have driven nails through them. He's praying for the very men who have whipped his back the very men that are right now at the base of the cross gambling, playing a little game of, of chance for the only clothes that he had. Praying for the men who had shoved into his scalp a crown of thorns, who had put a purple robe around his shoulders only to rip it off later. Prayed for those hardened and hateful men. First Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul reflects back on that period and he says, none of the rulers of the, un, of the age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Recognize that, that Pilate, although his wife gave him wise counsel, he, he really didn't know what he was doing. These soldiers, they were just 
Well, they were just doing their job. It was another day at the office for them, as bitter and as hateful as that would be. Jesus asked for forgiveness for that angry mob that had mocked him and jeered him and followed him from the courts of Pilate up outside of the city walls of Jerusalem to the hill called Golgotha. In Mark, the 15th chapter, we read Mark's reflections on this moment. Let me just read it with you today. Mark 15, starting in verse 29. It says that when they crucified him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him and they wagged their heads and they said, Ah, you who would restore the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come off of the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes, they were mocking him to one another saying, He saved others. Now he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down off of that cross and we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him, the other two men who received a death sentence, they mocked as well. <laughs> when I read that text, it turns my stomach. Maybe not so much for the crowd who was were just sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus said, just wandering through life, doing their thing. Maybe... Maybe it's understandable that they would mock, although I don't think excusable. But Annas and Caiaphas, those bitter and hateful men knew better. I'm firmly convinced that they knew that Jesus was a Christ. And no matter if Jesus had come off that cross in that moment, it would not have mattered. You and I know that they had made up their mind that he was not the coming Messiah because he didn't fit their mold, their plan their pattern. He had brought a message that made them small and made God large, and they didn't like it. You know, this crisis that we are in right now, the coronavirus, COVID-19, in many ways has made us all small. We as a nation are one of the most powerful nations militarily in the world and economically. But all the military and all the economic power that we have does very little to change the outcome of this virus. All we can do is stay at home, isolate from other people, and hope that it passes. And while we're appreciative for all those who are working hard to bring about some kind of cure or some kind of mitigation plan, the truth is, is that this event has reminded us that we are indeed small. Let's never fall into the trap of Annas and Caiaphas and think that we're larger than God's plan. Jesus was forgiving those very men, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the very men who had set apart to demand and orchestrate his death, the very men that had secretly twisted the heart of one of his disciples who had a weakness with greed, offering him the price of a common slave, 30 pieces of silver that he might sell Jesus out. Jesus, well, Jesus was forgiving those men as well. But most importantly, at least for me, is Jesus was forgiving me and he was forgiving you. I hope none of us would have been in the crowd. I certainly hope none of us would have been the soldiers driving the nails. I hope none of us would have been Annas and Caiaphas or the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of the, of the people who called for Jesus and orchestrated Jesus' death. But 
that day as they were calling him to step off of the cross, he stayed on the cross for their hearts, for their lives, and for their souls, and for mine as well. We have such a good, good father who loves us in a way that we can't even imagine. In this we know love, Scripture says. Christ died for us. And while we'll never be able to fully appreciate what that means, we can always remember that, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day of our lives. Jesus was also doing another thing that I think is so important for us to get, and that is that Jesus was being absolutely selfless. You might remember it says that they crucified him with two thieves. And then those two thieves were joining the rest of the people, mocking and criticizing and being ugly to Jesus, calling him to step off of that cross. And yet as the time went by, one of those men remained hardened. But one of those men began to contemplate his own death. He knew that in a few hours, his legs would be broken. He knew in a few hours, he would no longer be able to pull himself up to grasp another breath of precious air. He knew that in a few hours, this life would be over for him. Not because of the fact that he was dying for the sins of the world as Jesus was, but because he had done something that warranted death. He had stolen. And in this moment, Jesus shows such great selflessness. Because he begins to have a conversation. One of the men turns to the other and says, stop mocking him. Don't you see that we deserve what we're getting? But he, he does not. He's done nothing wrong. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus says to that man these simple words, the most important words this man would ever hear in this life. Today, you will be with me in paradise. People often ask, how, how could that man be saved? Well, it's pretty simple. For a Jew to be saved, they would have had to have brought an atoning sacrifice into the temple and to have that sin washed away by the blood of that animal or taken care of, pushed ahead, really, by the blood of that animal. But in this moment, one of the most unique moments in all of creation, this man stood or hung by the very one who was paying the price for not just his sin, but for the sins of all time, all those who had sinned before and all those who would sin after. All that sin had been piled up on the shoulders of Jesus. God had turned his back from him as Jesus paid the price that God said sin would cost way back in the beginning when God told Adam and Eve, don't, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of evil or you will surely die. As Jesus paid that original price for sin, this man was hanging by his side. Jesus would close his eyes in death before this man. Jesus would have paid that price. And Jesus knew that that man's heart had put him in such a place that he would be in paradise for eternity. That selflessness is such a powerful thing. But thirdly, Jesus was humble. Jesus was fully human in this moment. I think if I was Jesus, I might be tempted to numb up the pain a little with a special effect. I might try to zone out or, or, or not walk the path completely. But Jesus dealt with each and every part of this suffering as a complete human. 
even his great thirst. John records in John 19 and verse 28, he simply said, I'm thirsty, I thirst. Anyone who's lost that much blood and gone through that much trauma, would you know that they were probably a terrible craving for something to drink, trying, the body trying to re replace the fluids that they had lost earlier in that day. It's near the end of Jesus' life, and he has to sense it. He's hung on the cross at this point in time for about six hours now. It's become hard for Jesus to breathe as the fluids just begin to build up underneath his heart and around his lungs. He's hung from his arms, and he must have pulled himself and pushed himself for each and every breath. His shoulders ache. His mouth is parched. He's exhausted. John records this in John 19 and verse 28 and 29. Later, knowing that all had now been completed, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar, jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge, and they put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. But Jesus was not completely finished yet. In that whole period of time, the hours that Jesus hung on the cross, the fourth thing that Jesus did that just amazes me, that made him greater than the cross, is that he was always on mission. He never forgot what he was there for. He never allowed the pain or the fear or the frustration or the words of the angry mobs or the mockings of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and Annas and Caiaphas, the needs of the people around him. He never let any of those things pull him off of mission was completely focused on why he was there. And Mark tells us how it ended, or Luke rather, tells us how it ended in Luke, the ninth chapter, in verse 62. Pardon me, let me just back up. Luke, the ninth chapter, in verse 62. I got my verses mixed up. Jesus said something that was really important while he was alive. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't talking about stubbornness here. He's not talking about being contrary. He's really just talking about that God calls us to be absolutely focused. Jesus remained absolutely focused until the final breath he drew. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak then I am strong. God gave Jesus the courage and strength to push through the most difficult day any human being has ever had and remain focused on mission. And church, right now, this is a difficult time. This is an Easter like no Easter we've ever experienced before. And this is, we're at a place in this crisis where it's kind of old and it's not fun anymore. And a lot of us are frustrated and maybe we're going through some of the stages of grief. Don't lose your focus on the mission. The mission is to reach the lost world with the message of what Jesus has done. Don't allow the temptation to be frustrated and to lash out on Facebook or with your family members or other social media. Don't allow yourself just to become numb and, and go through the boring routine of each day. Remain focused on mission because Jesus did until he was done. And scripture said, he cried out into the darkness, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And it was finished. The price for sin had been paid. 
the price for my failings have been forever taken care of. And now we have an opportunity to know that our sins are forgiven. When we're washed in the waters of baptism, we are buried with Christ. We rise to walk out of those waters of baptism in brand new life. That is one of the, that is in fact the best thing that will ever happen to you in this life. And if you've never made that decision, get with us this week. Let's take care of that. Second thing that Jesus is greater than, and as we finish up with this today, is he's greater than the grave. Certainly the cross could never break who Jesus was. It could never destroy his character. It could never take away the attributes that Jesus had embodied in his entire ministry. Jesus remained Jesus to the very end. But the grave was not the end. The grave was just the beginning. Sunday morning, A.D. 33, whenever it was, had to be one of the most bleakest chapters in human history. Mary and Martha came to go and anoint the body of Jesus in a more proper way because it had been such a hurried burial on Friday night. But as they approached that tomb, they were shocked because the stone had been rolled back and an angel was there. Later they would speak with Jesus. What had seemed to be impossible had proven to be, in fact, very real. Jesus said, I will destroy the temple and build it in three days. And he had done that. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope because the moment that Jesus emerged from the grave, everything changed about human history. Up until that point, death was always the final chapter in each and every person's life, except for a few men who were caught up to be with the Lord. And those, that list is very, very short. Almost every human had died. But now, now there was something very different in the air because Jesus had certainly died. Water and blood had flowed from a spear wound to his side. The Romans, certain of his death, had allowed him to be buried in a, in a tomb where he had stayed for parts of three days. But now, now he was very much alive. As Thomas would find out, although Dom, Thomas doubted at first, Thomas would have an invitation. Place your hands or fingers in, my hand, in the holes in my hands. Place your hand in the wounds in my side. It was the same Jesus, but somehow different he was resurrected. That old body of brokenness, those wounds healed. His stripes have healed our failings. First Peter, the first chapter in verse 3, Peter writes this and looking back, he says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us three things, and as we close our time together today, we're going to talk about these three things. The first is that it gives us exactly what Peter says there, hope. <laughs> we know that the end of our story will, will be the same as every other human being's. At some point, we will grow old. This past week and through the last few weeks, we've lost some dear old friends, some of them to the coronavirus, some of them just to life and to accidents and to things that happen. But there's a hope. Paul writes this in Romans, the sixth chapter in verse three. He said, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. John, in the book of Revelation, has a chance to kind of fast forward and to see the ending of time. And John describes a scene where countless followers of Christ gather around the throne on the great judgment day. It's my hope that you and I are a part of that crowd that's there, that we get to experience whatever this is to be in a resurrected body. There's so many questions we have about all of this, but there's one thing that I know for certain, that if God is in it, it is going to be good. And when sin is no longer a part of our story here, it's going to be absolutely amazing. John 5, verses 21 and following. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Church, this morning, we have the opportunity to have made that transition to pass from the death and from the thinking of this world and from the preoccupation of what's going to happen to me here to life, recognizing that we too, like Jesus, can be focused on the mission and look forward to heaven. And I hope that we recognize today that the empty tomb gives us a great deal of hope. It also brings us a great deal of joy. I can't imagine what those, those two ladies must have felt like or the other apostles when they hear the news Jesus is no longer in the grave. Jesus has risen. That must have been absolutely the best thing that they had ever heard. So much must have started to make sense to them. But guys, today, let's not let that message of the empty tomb become something that's just, well, ordinary to us. Let's find the joy in that. We win. Jesus won. And he includes us into that team. He said, because I have suffered and I have resurrected, you too will have an opportunity to walk in brand new life. I like the story of Jesus on the road to, with, with the two men on the road to Emmaus. I love how the two guys get to walk with Jesus and Jesus kind of plays dumb, if you remember the story. And they said, you haven't heard the events that have happened. In how could you have been in Jerusalem and not heard? And they told about how Jesus had died. And then, then there was word of resurrection and, and Jesus was interested in that. Maybe, uh, maybe it's one of the most funny introductions to a sermon series that was ever given in Luke, the 24th chapter. Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And then he starts to teach them. He says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what the scripture said concerning himself. But the great part of the story is they don't know it's Jesus, right? As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. They said, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. Jesus always thanked God for his food. Can I just give you a challenge here real quick? If you've somehow fallen out of the habit or never gotten the habit of thanking God for the meal that's before you, Start that this week. If you don't do family prayer together with your family before you eat, it's a great habit to get in. Jesus did this every time, and Jesus was the creator. Surely we should as well. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And it says in verse 31, this is one of those things I'd like to see if I could be there. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You talk about some excited guys. They get up right then and there and they run back to Jerusalem and they say, hey guys, we just saw Jesus on the road. There was a joy that just flooded the city of Jerusalem because Jesus had resurrected. I hope that even though we're cloistered off in our own homes and not able to be together with the church, I hope that joy fills your soul today. And I hope that you have some way of sharing that with somebody, maybe who doesn't have that same hope that you have. The last thing is simply this, that Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb, gives us a brand new meaning in life. The resurrection makes our lives matter. Because now we have the opportunity to share a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel is simply a word that just means good news. That Jesus died, yes. He was buried, yes. But he also rose. And he ascended into heaven a few days later. And he told the disciples, he said, I want you to go into the world and I want you to make disciples. I want you to, want you to teach them the message that I have shared with you. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want them to go out and make more disciples. I want this to be something that blows up in this world. And you know what? It did. Within two or 300 years, the church had pretty much subdued the Roman government. <laughs> Within two or 300 years, the church had reached the far-flung corners of the world because people recognize my life now has meaning. I have a purpose. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. This week, church, let's remember that we have a job. We have a mission and let's do that. First Corinthians 15, and I'm closing with this passage today, simply says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass what is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Church, the Resurrection Sunday is not just about remembering that the tomb is empty. Resurrection is about remembering that Jesus has risen and then given us a mission. Let's go out this week, church, and let's let the world know what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us.